right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time to say. All right, let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What is happening? Welcome into another edition of RCST. Stands for Rock Chalk Sports Talk if you're new to the show. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Drovetta here on KLWN. We're going to have Matt Tate join the show in about 35 minutes. From the LJ World, we'll talk some KU basketball with Matt. Kevin Flaherty will join us at 440, talk some KU football and KU basketball later on in the show. Right off the top, though, we talked yesterday about, you know, what our expectations for the guys who were waiting on decisions with the NBA are. And uh, I think we both had, like, Christian Brown at 95% that we feel like he's probably in the draft. We had Kevin McCuller, I don't know, 70 80%, something like that to come to KU. Mm-hmm. Um I think we both settled for Jalen somewhere in the 60 to 70% range that he would come back. So we're still expecting him to come back, but we're also not going to be utterly shocked or surprised if he does end up staying in the NBA draft. But I, I am curious from this standpoint, because I've, I've been kind of tossing this out there. Um, I think it's pretty clear. If, if Christian Brown were to come back, he would be the Big 12 preseason player of the year. And, and how much the Big 12 preseason player of the year matters not a whole lot. I mean, Remy Martin had it this year. And Remy lived up to it once March, end, yes. once March rolled around, once tournament, Big 12 tournament and NCAA tournament, but during the season, partly because of injury, but even before the injury, he wasn't playing at a Big 12 player of the year level, with the exception of maybe that second half against Michigan State to start the year. Mm-hmm. It's just it's more so to say that, like, on paper, we have the guy who is expected to be the very best in yep. the conference coming into the year, which is obviously a big deal. And if you're a Big 12 player of the year, by the end of the year, you're going to be an All-American. There are three All-American teams. If you look at like the AP, for instance, if you're Big 12 player of the year, you're going to be on one of those teams, right? And you're, you're going to be in contention for first-team All-Americans. The point is, you would have one of the best players in the country. If, if Christian comes back, he is that. If Jalen comes back, is he the Big 12 preseason player of the year? I think, one, I got to say, today, this show feels like kind of like the day, April 2nd, the day of the national championship, where I was like, let's just get through it because we got a big one tonight. I'm excited about today's show, but tomorrow, like, let's get through today's show because there's another championship on tomorrow's show, and... Yeah, that's that's exciting. Yeah, our CST Trivia Championship tomorrow between our two one seeds, Eric Hansi and Tyler Feist. But uh, back to the matter at hand, I don't think it's a runaway thing. I think um, the fact that Tyrese Hunter seems to be connected more and more to Texas, mm-hmm. I think if you put him at Texas, he's probably the preseason favorite for Big 12 really? Player of the Year. Um, I just think there's more name notoriety with him. I wouldn't be shocked. if I, I think the votes get split. I don't think it's unanimous by any means. Um, but he came on so strong. And, and um, now, now, look, Jalen was Jalen, what, honorable mention this year for all Big 12 at the end of the year? He was third team. Third team. So, I mean, there's reason to believe that 
he could be big uh, Big Twelve preseason player of the year. Now you you know factoring in that he's not just playing for Bill Self, but familiar with Bill Self. Um, and and by no means would it shock me, and it certainly would shock me if it wouldn't shock me if he won the thing in springtime of next year. Um, but no, I, I don't think it's as open shut of a case as maybe a Christian Brown would be. Well, see, I just wonder how much you would get a boost of being on the team who just won a title coming back from that. Like that would that would matter at least a little bit, and also, and now especially with self has proven time and again, you know, maybe like with that team with Sharon and Cole after the 08 championship, maybe they don't as much get the benefit of the doubt with certain players getting voted for certain preseason awards. But now self is time and proven time and again that he just reloads. Yeah, and when you look at the Big Twelve preseason expectations, like some people might pick Baylor to win the conference coming into the year because they bring a lot back and they have some good recruits coming in. But for the most part, given KU's pedigree and history winning the Big Twelve and coming off the title game, they're going to be as popular of a pick to win the conference. And in addition to the fact that they still are going to have a lot of really good players as anyone. And so a lot of times you might just pick who's the best player on the team. We expect to win to win that, you know, preseason player of the year. Um, If we just go through those, those teams. So there's, you know, first, second, third team, all big 12. So we look at the first team. I'm pretty sure James Akinjo and Isaiah Brockington graduated and have gone. Um, I, it gets sticky with the COVID year. Could they have another year? I don't think so. So I think they're gone. Even if I, I'm pretty sure uh, Akinjo, I'm, I'm very sure on that one. Brockington is the one I'm not totally sure on. Um, even if Brockington comes back, though, even though he would be the one returning all Big 12 first teamer, it's hard to maybe pick that guy to win the award if he's on a team who you know, finished, I, I don't know, without Tyrese Hunter now, like they're probably going to be picked in the bottom three or bottom four of the conference to start next season, right? Well, especially when they, they kind of fell off. Yeah. You know what I mean? They they started, what were they, 20-0 and 0 or 18-0 and 0 or something? Mm-hmm. And then they kind of, I mean, they you know, how many teams start 18 or 20-0 and 0 and fall to, what were they, an 11 seed? 10, 11, no, they were, 11. yeah, they were yeah, 11 because Miami was that 10. Mm-hmm. There's the bracket right there. I should have just looked. Um, so, anyway, I, I don't really expect anyone from the first team back. Um, Ochag Baji going pro. Nigel Pack transferred to Miami. Bryson Williams definitely graduated. He was in college for like six years. That's your whole first team all-conference. So, gone. So, you don't have somebody who you just say, yeah, they were first teamer last year. Let's just slide them back. They're Big 12 player of the year in the preseason. Second team, uh, Christian Brown would be probably going pro. Taz Sherman from West Virginia. He graduated. Now, I do believe Timmy Allen is returning to Texas. He was on the second team. Mike Miles is returning to TCU. He was on the second team. Adam Flagler returning to Baylor. He's on the second team. So those are all ones to watch there. Okay. And then you have the third team. David McCormick, gone. Mark Smith from Kansas State, graduated. And then you have Avery Anderson and Marcus Carr returning to Oklahoma State and Texas, along with Wilson. Mm -hmm. So you have three returners from the third team, which... I guess if you just wanted to, you could just like slot that together and say, well, this is the all-Big 12 preseason team then. You have the the five guys who return between those three teams, Flagler, Miles, Carr, Anderson, Wilson. I don't think it would work out that way positionally. You also have the the freshmen to think about, like Dylan Mitchell is a top-five recruit in the 24-7. He's going to Texas. You have uh, Keontae George, who's ranked sixth on 24-7 composite. He uh, is going to Baylor. You have Artario Morris, who is... 
uh, 16th in the country. Going to Texas, Grady Dick at Kansas, ranked 19th. MJ Rice ranked uh, 28th, and he's going to Kansas, right? So you have some freshmen to think about. You have what you mentioned. Tyrese Hunter wasn't on any of those teams. If he goes to Texas, he's, he's going to at least be getting some votes here. The question becomes... You know, does does Timmy Allen and Marcus Carr and and those freshmen coming to Texas? Do those guys impact the way that you know we view him and and it kind of splits up the votes uh, among guys Very- for Texas? Uh, the point being for me is that I I think this kind of comes down to if Jalen Wilson does come back, to me it's between three guys. If if you want to add Tyrese Hunter, that's fine. We can make that a fourth. Um, Mike Miles. Because TCU is going to probably be, it's probably going to be Kansas and Baylor in some order, one, two. TCU is probably going to be picked third. I think for them, I agree. And for him to win it, now winning it and being picked preseason no, player of the year are two totally different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those are two totally different things. Long term, I could see TCU winding up finishing like fifth or sixth with high expectations. But you're right. If they're picked third, uh, real quick, I want to I wanna humor me a little bit. It's mm-hmm. my last week. So let us take, I've got a timer, let us take five seconds to just imagine David McCormick returning, okay? Oh! All right, that was happening. fun, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's not happening, but we got to imagine it for a quick five seconds. I mean, seconds. hypothetically, if he does, he's in this running too. Yes, but, but he's not. It's not. Um, yeah. But no, yeah, I think... Um, the, 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 I agree with with Miles. They they are probably they seem to be the the favorite for third. That's a weird way of saying that, but the team that will probably be picked third. And yes, he'll he'll be he'll probably get votes. Um, and then what do you think is is Flagler the other guy along with Wilson? Yeah, and Flagler is is the one for me because Miles, as much as he's leading a trendy team that could finish top three, who typically isn't up there, and he's viewed as this like you know. Um, he does so much for them. I don't know if these the efficiency is there. He is a little bit of a chucker, 38% from the field, uh, 30% from three-point range. Like he, he is very high volume to get there. I feel like for a program to like TCU to actually get um, preseason love like that, what would have to happen is they would have had to have either tied for the Big 12 title or finished second in this past year. And then return to that guy. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I don't know if if having based on their standards a very good year last year, nearly I mean being right on the hair edge of, of going to the Sweet Sixteen and pulling a monster upset, being a what were they an eight or a nine? Um, it, it, you know, that's a good year for them. But I think for a program like TCU to get that sort of love, they would almost have needed to have like an out of nowhere like finish in the top 15 type year mm-hmm. last year, right? Yeah. I, but again, I, I'm, I don't just, I'm just they, talking preseason. Um, but he, yeah, even then, I, I think he's the third, and I think you're saying this too, of those three, he's probably the third. Yes. I, I think Adam Flagler would have a, a big ground to stand on because he was so, like he was really good over the course of the season. The only reason he wasn't first team and that he was second team is because the non-con wasn't as great as the conference. In conference play, he was unbelievable. He was a first-team all-player in conference play, which makes me think he could do it. But it also makes me wonder, like, LJ Cryer, I haven't even brought him up here, is going to be coming back. He averaged, like, 13 a game for Baylor. He just missed so much time with with injury. So does he take away um, from him? But Flagler, I think, would be there. I, I, I kind of do think it would be Jalen Wilson, though. I, I, I just, like, kind of envision this as... 
if he comes back to this Kansas team, he is going to be viewed as, when you look at the rest of the roster, he's going to be viewed as, okay, you're probably the leading scorer on that team. You're probably the leading rebounder on the team. You you know, that could end up meaning, what, 15 points, nine rebounds a game. That's true. On a team who just won the title last year, on a team who's going to be picked to probably win the conference, I feel like he would be the guy for preseason conference player of the year. That is true. I, I do think a lot of um, the postseason award tends to go, not always, but a lot of times goes to the best player on the best team. Um, and I do think that that, that – carries over when voting on preseason awards that they're going to go, okay, who do we think is going to win the conference? It's probably going to be in, in their minds, either Kansas or Baylor. And who do we think is the best player on that team? And you're right. There's good reason to believe it would be Jalen Wilson. Um, with the only one, I mean, who, who's coming back with major minutes? Dewan, And he's not anybody. No, the numbers. For, yeah. He's not anybody's pick a really for, good player. For, but. Yeah. He's yeah. He's not preseason big 12 player of the year material. I do think, and this is kind of, you know, kind of digging a little deeper than maybe this, the point of this exercise is. But I do think with preseason awards, there are going to be people that um, want to be different, that they don't want to make the obvious pick. Um, and, and therefore, you know, th there'll be somebody getting a few votes that we're going, that doesn't make any sense. You know what I'm saying? Um, I don't think that that'll be enough to, to sway much of the vote, but I do think there will be somebody who thinks, well, I, I want to, you know, I want to be able to brag in March that I was, I was one of the ones in on this guy. Uh, so that, that's going to, that'll take away some votes, but, um, the, the argument of best player on best team is absolutely there for Jalen Wilson. And I guess part of this, too, is just the expectation is going to be there that if he does come back, he can be the leader of the team, both in terms of, I think, um, like I said, like if he, if he comes back, I very much, well, we have the conversation seemingly every offseason. Who do you think is going to lead a team, lead this Kansas team in, in scoring? Some years is easier than others. I think this past year was a little more difficult, even though looking back, it, it seems like such a home run to say, Ochak Baji led your team in scoring and he came back. Why would he not lead your team again? But then you added in Remy Martin and it became more of a conversation there. It felt like... Um, and you had Dave, I think, who was the leader in conference-only play. It, it felt a little bit like, and I don't think Marcus Morris was the preseason Big 12 Player of the Year. I think Jacob Poland might have been that year. Marcus Morris won Big 12 Player of the Year that season, that 10-11 season. And it is one of those things where once you got to March, you look back and go, well, who the hell else would it have been? Right. But... Because going into the season, you you know, once March comes around, you forget what were the storylines in October and November when those votes were cast. And that it, it's very possible that come March, somebody's getting that, maybe Jalen, somebody's getting that award where you're going, yeah, of course, why wouldn't it be? Yeah. But, but it, it's, it's way more cloudy now than in a lot of years. Yeah, I just, but like, I guess what I was trying to say there is that it's not cloudy for me in trying to figure out who I would pick to be the the leading scorer headed into the season? Like to me, it'd be it'd be Jalen Wilson. Oh or no, for, you're talking about for Kansas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree completely. I I meant uh, cloudy in the sense of, mm -hmm. of of preseason Big Twelve Player of the Year. Right. But yes, if Jalen Wilson returns, he's the favorite to lead this team in in every major category except assists, and that would be Dewan. Yeah. And I mean, like, I uh, I guess that. 
how much does all this matter in the conversation? Not really, but... It's also May it, 24th. <laughs> no, of course, of course. But I think that if you don't have Jalen back, all of these conversations do become murky. Like, yeah. if, if Jalen doesn't come back, and, and whether it's you adding Tyrese Hunter or Isaiah Mosley or Courtney Ramey or whatever player you want to say, I don't know who the answer is for who leads this team in points. I don't know who the answer is for who leads this team in points or I mean, in rebounds. If Jalen doesn't come back, there's a chance that the leading the, – the, there's an argument to be made that the leading scorer is Dewan Harris or a freshman. I mean, Clements will be up there. Um, I was yeah, probably Grady Dick would be yeah, up Grady there in Dick. terms of odds. We've all we've um, all heard about his shot. Whoever the starting but center is, because we I know Bill think, Self will use him. I don't think Dewan Harris um, would be the favorite, but I just mean like he would be in the conversation commodity. because he's a known commodity. I wouldn't pick him because yeah, no. I, I don't think he's going to get there. But I, I get what you're saying. It's just the idea of like. You could convince me that MJ Rice leads the team in scoring. You could convince me MJ Rice um, doesn't find doesn't the floor find the floor a ton as a yeah. freshman under Bill Self, and he doesn't do some of the things that Bill Self likes, and he only plays fifteen minutes. Same a game, with right? Ernest Duday. Exactly. You just don't know. Um, so from that standpoint, yeah, and and Self, we know how much trust is important with mm-hmm. Self, and you're going to have two players who by by today, if Jalen, I mean the moment Jalen Wilson, if he decides to come back. The moment Jalen Wilson announces he's back, you will basically have two players who will immediately have Bill Self's trust. Yes, and and that's, that's Jalen Wilson and Dwan Harris. That word you just used there, trust. This isn't. I I want to go back and I'm going to do this right now live on the fly. Um, years that you had a play, the player who led you in scoring was a newcomer. I want to go back and look through. This. Okay, so last year Ochai was third year player, or like if okay. When I say last year, I was referring to 2021. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This past yeah. season, Ochai was a fourth-year player. Yep. The year before, Ochai was a third-year player. 2020, it was Devon Dotson was your leading scorer. Second-year second player. Yep. 2019, Dedrick Lawson. First-year player. A, there's a newcomer. But worth noting, Yudoka Azabuki went, excuse me, went out in like December of that year. So you don't know what Diedrich's points yeah. would have been. Well, again, second year in the program. Exactly, because he redshirted. Right? Um, 2018, Devontae Graham, fourth year. Fourth year. 2017, Frank Mason, fourth year. 2016, uh, Perry Ellis, fourth year. 33rd year. Yep. <laughs> yeah, 2015, I think, was Perry Ellis as well. Who else right. would it have been? Yeah, I don't know. It would have had to been Perry. Um, that would have been his third year, right? Or 32nd year. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, 2014 would have been Andrew Wiggins. Yep, so newcomer. So newcomer. Um, 2013. Was it Elijah? I thought it was. Was it Ben Maxwell? It was Ben. So again, Re- first but red, year, but technically but red shirt, second. Yeah, right? red shirt freshman. Uh, 2012, Thomas Rob, Third year. Yeah, third year. Uh, 2011, Marcus Morris, third, third year. year. 2010 would Sharon. have been Sharon, right? Was, it, was he their leader or did Xavier Henry jump up there? That's what I was wondering. I think it was Sharon. Yeah, it would have had to be Sharon. Yeah, because Xavier was like 13 and a half. Sharon was 15. Um, so Sharon would have led it in 09. That's your, or, I mean, 10. That's your fourth year. And 09, that would have been his third year. And then 08, it would have been led by Rush, who was in his third, third year. year. 07 rush in his second year, 06 rush in his first freshman year. year yeah. So, so I, it very rarely does. And and his well, self's hand was kind of forced in that 05, 06 season because that team was led by, yeah. I mean, uh, Jeff Hawkins got some minutes um, in 05 and 06, but that, that group 
that team was primarily led by freshmen and sophomores, and the bulk of the talent that that group with Russell Robinson, Darnell Jackson, Sasha Khan, really talented players, great leadership. But the bulk of that talent, in terms of guys who would be go on to be top, you know, lottery picks, first round NBA picks. The bulk of that talent came in, the, in that freshman class. Yeah, and 0405 was obviously Wayne Simeon, who I don't know what you want to count because it wasn't under Bill Selfs. But he yeah, fourth year in the program, year. second year under Self. So that's from 04 to 22. So what is that? 18, how many seasons is Bill Self? 18, 19, whatever. Got here, he got here in 03, so 20. Okay, so over that many seasons that we just went through, we only named four names of guys who were players who didn't play the season before. And two of those names were guys who redshirted the season before and were in the program. That means it's only happened twice the guys no who have experience. not yes, had any experience with the program have led them in scoring. And, and one, neither of those years turned out too well. 06, you lost in the first round. 2014, you lost in the second round. Yeah, 06 ended very, very well yeah. considering how it began, but still you got bounced in the first round. Yeah. And if you look at the two players, Brandon Rush was extravagantly talented. Um, and Andrew Wiggins was, I think, still the highest-rated recruit that's ever come to Kansas. So there is very much a level of needing that trust and needing that guy that you can come in and be like, yeah, we've seen it from you before. Go be our leading scorer, and that's what Jalen could do, and there would be high expectations if he could do it, but I think he could very much live up to them and certainly not just win preseason player of the year, but win it in the postseason for Big 12 player of the year. If he does come back, which we're still waiting on. He's Adam Bravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Depend on it. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas Collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including t-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear, plus they look really cool. And they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK. That's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Shock Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. About a quarter till four, this is Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Joined now by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Uh, Matt, after taking in the NBA Combine events from last week, seeing what went on over there and different measurements and, and skills that some of these players showed. Uh, I'm curious, give me a percentage on, on what you would put for the following three, not, not all three of them happening at once, but all these individually, Christian Brown returning, Jalen Wilson returning. And then I guess we say Kevin McCuller returning now. I don't know how to view that because he was never at KU, but if he does come back, he's coming to KU. What percentages would you put on them being in a KU uniform next season? I think Christian Brown is 10% or less. Um, I, I mean, I think it would take something pretty wild at this point. Number one, I think he, you know, feels ready. Uh, number two, I think he showed well. And you combine those two things with a bunch of people telling you you're a first-round pick. Uh, I don't care how much you love KU. I don't care how much you love college. You you probably got to go. So, um, you know, and, and for me, with him all along, it was a – how did he perform and what did he hear? And he performed great. 
and I, I think, yeah, ninety ten gone is is probably even a little generous to the dreamers who are still hoping he can come back. So, might might do everybody a little bit more of a service to say like three to five percent that he would come back still. Um, Jalen Wilson, I you know last I talked to a few people, try to reach out and get a little insight as best I can. I I, I really think he's fifty fifty, um, or at least as of a few days ago was he's still continuing to work out um, with teams and and obviously has a little bit more time, another full week to uh, really gather as much of the information as he can and needs and and still kind of make that decision. So uh, I know 50-50 is usually a cop-out, but I I really feel like that's the case. And and I'll say this, to qualify that, I think that going into the G League Elite Camp, because he was not an original combine combine invite, um, you know, I I would have said going into that G League that he was probably 75-80% coming back. So I, I think he performed well. Um, or well enough to at least make it a, a real option for him to stay in the draft. And, and I don't know that it really was before that. So 50-50, I, you know, you made me bet today. You made me decide today. I think he's back, but it's close. Um, I, I really think that the thing with Jalen that's so interesting is, you know, he can go get paid right now and he can go work on a two-way contract or you know, start his career in the G League and make some money and, and see where that takes him. And while that's not the the dream of everybody, um, I, I think the idea of coming back is is uh, is not as automatic and and beautiful as it may seem. I think everybody has this romantic vision that well, if you come back, you do what Ochai did, and that's certainly within the realm of possibilities for anybody. But um, it's also Jalen Wilson would be coming back to Kansas with no Ochai, no Christian Brown, no David McCormick, no Remy Martin. And it's not to say he can't play and be a big part of, of the leadership portion of a, a new team and all that. But, you know, those are his guys. Those are the guys he's been around. And, and so sometimes that's hard to do. Sometimes you look at it and even if you think maybe it is the best idea to go back, Sometimes it's just not going back to the same thing, and and that can that can get in your head a little bit. So that's I think a factor here. Um, and then McCuller, um, you know, a G League invite um, didn't necessarily tear it up. There obviously wasn't invited for the combine after that. I, I, you know, I, I'd, I'd be really surprised if he's not in Kansas next year. Uh, I talked to his high school coach the other day, and. Um, you know, I've got a something, couple things coming out on that. But basically, he said, you know, he thinks it's the best move for him to come back to Kansas and and you know, get a new opportunity to showcase himself. And and uh, doesn't mean that's what he's going to do. It's not like the, the high school coach has the final say or any say. But um, I, I think he likes the fit at KU, and I think he's excited about what KU could do for for Kevin. So uh you put that one almost as, as the the opposite end of the brown spectrum it's about as high as i think it can be without being automatic um so maybe put that at 90 as well that he that he's coming to kansas so um you know one gone one in and then one still on the fence and that one on the fence is going to determine a lot of different things not only about what the team looks like but also if they have to add another guy or not yeah, and I think it very much could 
uh, I guess, determine like their style of play because right now as they look at the potential roster, I think they could be fantastic defensively. I think you have a bunch of guys who can kind of do what they did this year in terms of being able to grab and go, grab a rebound and, and work out and transition. I do have some questions about the shooting and, and the offensive punch, um, but if Jalen comes back, I would just think that he becomes the automatic pick to be your number one option offensively. If he does decide to come back, do you view him the same way, that he would be your pick to lead the team in scoring and possibly even be the Big 12 player of the year? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's in 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 the cards all of a sudden, right? I mean, he's he's going to be an experienced returner. He's uh, obviously we've shown he's shown his talent and his ability, and and things could possibly and maybe even probably run through him a little bit more. I, I think I think having said that, though, the the roster that they're building with or without him, but since we're talking about with him right now, you know, I think it continues to be a roster that's pretty. Um, versatile and and uh, I, I don't want to call it entirely positionless, but but kind of you know McCullough especially is is a guy that that can guard you know two or three maybe even four spots um, and and there are other guys on that roster that can do the same thing uh, so you know there's there's a lot of potential there um, for 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 this to look like a much different team. But, yeah, I mean, based on – I think we talked about this last week just briefly, but, like, the the big stuff – again, it was Remy freaking Martin last year, right? So it's like you have to take it all with a grain of salt, and you have to remember that it's largely just a reputation thing. I mean, I don't think coaches sit there and really break down Who's going to get what? How's it going to look? What are they going to do with them? That kind of thing. I think they fill it out. Well, this guy's pretty good. I know him, and I know he's going to be a big part of it. Put him down, and then they move on. You know, and so Jalen would probably benefit from that. I mean, as one of the top returning guys in the league. So you know, I, I think there's there's no doubt that he could. I you know I I wrote a whole thing, and I, I know we talked about Jalen at length maybe a couple weeks ago on on your show here, but. I wrote a whole thing after that too about Jalen knowing that, that coming back as as the undefined, unquestioned four on the on the roster and in the lineup is is a benefit to him, right? And then the more I've thought about it over the last couple of weeks, especially as I saw him play at the combine and, and how he looked, and he he's, he's leaner, he moves more fluid, he looks lighter. Um, it got me wondering if maybe he could be a three because. His position in the NBA is probably a three. It's you know he's not a four, right? So does that factor into this decision? Does that factor into his future if he does come back? Does he come back with the idea of telling Coach Self and, and the staff like, hey, look, these guys all said they like me as a three, um, but I'm a college four and I, I need to work more as a three. Let's let's see how that works. And you know they're not going to sell out to do that. They're not going to you know, make the team worse just to make sure Jalen Wilson gets work at the three. But if they can find a way to do that, and more importantly, if he can find a way to do that and and play what they need, um, play the way they need their three to play, then, you know, maybe that is an option for him uh, moving forward. I haven't heard that. I just, again, I I just noticed that he looks leaner and and moved better. And, And so maybe, especially if Brown's gone, maybe, maybe that is an option. So, you know, I, I think, again, I continue to think that Jalen's in a win-win situation. I think he comes back. It's a great opportunity for him to, to elevate his stock and his game and, and improve and all that. And I think if he goes, 
um, somebody will pick him up. He'll he'll make some money. He'll get an opportunity to to start his career and have some fun. And and so I, I just I don't think he's in a bad position. It's just got to be more of what does he want, what does he need, and and what's his gut feeling? What's what's his gut telling him right now? Well, while we await all those decisions from the guys testing the NBA waters for KU, KU is going to have a decision to make on who their next head coach for baseball is going to be. Rich Price retiring from the team. Tough final season at KU, but certainly a uh, well-accomplished career. And, and anyone you talk to who has dealt with Rich Price will have glowing things to say about him as a person and, and how they helped them along in their path. So uh, what do you kind of think the expectations are for uh, I don't know, I, I know you released a, an article about some possible candidates, and, and what do you think the expectation should be for whoever the new head coach is in terms of what would make it a successful hire? Oh, man, it's so hard. It's such a hard job, and that doesn't that doesn't mean it can't be done, and that doesn't mean guys won't be lining up to want to do it. I, I, think, uh, I think the expectation has to be um, – Two things. Number one, I think you have to have great energy, enthusiasm, excitement. You have to, you know, Rich Price had that in spades, and and he was he was loved by his players, um, liked in the community. You know, the donors that he worked with really responded to to his vision and him as a person and and all of that. So you you, you absolutely have to start there. It has to continue to be that. Um, but you know, the real. To me, the most important part of this hire is obviously Travis Goff and company are going to go do interviews, and they're going to, you know, they're going to try to talk to as many guys as they can, and and former players and former coaches, and see just like they did when they hired Leipold. Um, let's let's find out what this place needs, what this position needs, and and then kind of make sure we're getting the right guy, you know, and and. Uh, while that was critically important in football and they had to vet Leipold and Munkin and whoever else, you know, was, was in the mix there. Um, I, I think that it's almost, it's almost the opposite with, with, uh, with the baseball hire. I think KU is the one that's going to be interviewed when it comes to hiring this position. Uh, I think anybody that's a real candidate with real experience that could get other jobs elsewhere is going to sit Goff and company down and say, I need you to convince me that you're committed to baseball moving forward, that we have a vision, that we have X, Y, and Z lined up, that this can happen and this can happen, and that you're going to support what I see. And and um, some of those guys on my list are, are absolutely in that boat where, you know, they wouldn't even consider it if they don't like how the, how the interviewing KU process goes. And, and so – I think that that'll determine a lot of the direction of the search and the hire is, is are they just looking to maintain and, and find another guy that can kind of operate in the same space that Rich Price did? Um, because those are out there. There's a lot of those guys, and you don't have to pay them a ton of money. And, and you know, at that point, you're probably hoping that things get better rather than trying to do something to make them better. Um, but if you look for some of those guys that are on the top of that list, um, you know, Childress, for, for, for example, former A&M coach, um, I, I had a, a guy tell me that, that he would be a grand slam hire, not even just a home run. Um, you know, he was at A&M for 15, 16 seasons, um, experience turning Nebraska around. He's up there right now at Nebraska. I mean, if that's a guy that you can go get, then, again, you have to, you have to sell him. That, that 
this is worth his time and that this is worth him taking the gamble on versus the opposite. So, you know, but those guys are out there. He's one of them. There's a couple others that, that I think you could really, you know, if you're willing to show a commitment to baseball, you, you can hire a pretty big-time name and, and a guy that has some experience and, and maybe can get people excited too. So it, it really is sort of that defining moment for this program and, and this athletic department about what they want baseball to be. Do they – do they just want it to be, you know, a run of run of the mill program that does well and and is okay and blah blah blah? Or do they do they have big visions for expanding the facilities and hosting regionals and and maybe turning it into more of a a viable revenue stream than than it is or ever has been? And you know, that's all big big stuff. That's that's uh, even if you commit to it, even if you want to, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Um, but that's that's kind of where where they're at right now. They're they're in that position of they have to decide what do they want from this thing, and and you know there there really is no wrong answer. I mean, sometimes just being competitive is is all you need, and and um, you know hoping hoping that that's good enough to to get some interest and and keep your program competitive and respectable and all that stuff. But if you're trying to really take it to that next level. Uh, you've got to put the money in to make the money on the back end. And, and even if you do, baseball's never going to pump major money, right? It's not a revenue generator at most schools. So it's not like it's you can do that here. But you can certainly do better and, and, and do more. And, and you know, as, as great as Price was, it's definitely time for a new new person to take the, the opportunity to see what they can do with it. And and uh, I'd imagine the, the, the athletic department's fired up about the chance to, to go find that person. We're talking with Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World. Uh, our RCST Trivia Championship matchup is tomorrow, so uh, you good for a couple more trivia questions. Wow, yeah, right. Big stuff. That's exciting. All, uh, tomorrow, May. Okay, we're still in May. You didn't make it all the way to June, but that's a pretty good stretch. Yeah. Right May there. Madness. Yeah. May Hit Madness. Me. There you go. <laughs> um, all right, uh, first up for you. The most points that Kansas scored along their 2022 NCAA tournament run was 83 against what opponent? Uh, wow, let's see. Okay, yeah, I think they're not Creighton, not North Carolina, uh, not Providence. So we're at Texas Southern, we're at Miami, and we are at Villanova. Oh man, that's hard. Um, Miami, they had no points at halftime, so I'm afraid. Even as big as that second half was, I'm afraid to go there. I'm going to go Texas Southern. Is that right? That is right. There you go. There Good job go. working through the there process. Yeah, yeah, there was. It was 83. Yeah. Villanova was 81. They had way less possessions, but 83 against Texas Southern. All right, let's see if we can go two I and zero. Like How many times in his two-year career at Kansas? Did Julian Wright foul out of a game? Oh my gosh, this is so hard <laughs> because, uh, like my my instincts tell me, like maybe it's a question because it's zero. But then if you remember Julian at all and know how he played, he was not afraid to play a little wild. So you could also think it's a pretty high number. Um, but what? Why the, the the deeper meaning here? Why is this a question? Uh, I'll go zero. Look at you, two for two. Yeah, that, baby, that, that is awesome. I've never been, never felt better about myself than right now. Three fifty six p.m. 
on uh, May 24th, 2022. This is a highlight for me. Wow. wow. Let's go out with a bang like that. No need to uh, spoil the record. Perfect 2-0 day. That's why That's why LJ World pays Matt the big bucks over there because he knows things like that. Um, Matt? Before we let you go, uh, this is Adam's last week on the job over here. So when I say one last thing with Adam, it's it's pretty literal here. So uh, Adam, it literally you. is yeah. one last one <laughs> last thing. Yeah, well, congratulations too, Adam. That's exciting stuff, man. And uh, best of luck to you. It'll be a lot of fun, and uh, I'm sure you'll do great work. So uh, hit me with a good one here, and hopefully for everybody listening, it has nothing to do with my toenails. No, no, it's uh, it's topical to today. Which stadium has better cotton candy, Hoagland Ballpark or Kauffman Stadium? Oh, wow. Wow. Interesting. Um, I will have to say the K. Uh, I, can, I can tell you for certain that I have not had any cotton candy at, at Hoagland Ballpark. So I guess my answer is a little bit incomplete in that sense because I don't have anything to compare anything to directly. Well, do you but, go with the potential um, of the Hoagland Ballpark? Because the cotton candy could be the best you've ever had. It could be the worst you've ever had. You don't know. There's a wide scale there. Yeah, I know. It's it's. I'm a little afraid because, number one, it's telling me that maybe I need to get some. And I probably, you know, the scale is telling me I don't need to get some. So it's, <laughs> this is tough. This is tough. But uh, I'm going to stick with the K. I'm going to stick with the belief that all things MLB are bigger and better. They probably have better ingredients. Um, they probably make bigger batches. They probably turn it over more quickly, right? Like, um, let's say it's fresher. Yeah. Right? There's, there's how many thousands of people out there sometimes um, that are that are you know going through the candy cotton candy with their kids, and so they've got to keep fresh batches going at all those spots. Whereas uh, Hoagland, if nobody's buying it. It might just sit there the same batch they made in the top of the first inning or whatever. So, um, that, that, you know, that's not a knock. That's just that's just me trying to trying to again work the process and get a right answer here. So, I, I will say Kauffman Stadium. Two reasons: number one, because I believe that that's probably right. Number two, because it's the only cotton candy that I've had between the two. So, um, but but yeah, I'll, I'll I'll put it on my list to maybe investigate that a little closer. He is Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World. Matt, appreciate you hopping on as always, man. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. I uh, I, I owe you a ton today. That was a that was a highlight for me, and I and I hope it was a, a nice build up into the championship matchup tomorrow. I mean, if I can get two questions in a row right, you know, one was maybe a little easy, the other was not. So if I can do that, you know, anybody can win this thing, both tomorrow and and well into the future. So. Uh, dream big, kids. You can you can be two and zero someday too. So tune in tomorrow for that for that championship matchup. Though um, it will be far more entertaining than my two lucky guesses. He is Matt Tate. Check out his work, KUSports.com, LJ World. Appreciate the time. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depending on it. Sad news uh, going on there. Again, we, we got into the, the Fox News a little late. We were trying to get off on time because obviously an important day today. Um, we just ran a little late there. But, uh, yeah, once again, there's shooting in, in an elementary school in Texas. 14 students, one teacher, and apparently the grandmother of the shooter as well, who he shot at home before going off um, there. And the shooter dead as well. So uh, really sad news. And 
Um, we'll stick around for the next Fox News update coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour to catch up with whatever the latest is going on with that one. Again, it's it's hard for me to really like see that news and, and that stuff going on and like continue to do a show in like this happy, somber or happy, excited, upbeat mood. It's just it's difficult, um, but I'm going to try to do a segment here that's supposed to be fun. So uh, let's do it. And uh, without any good transition from that, let's get into the list. This is a top 10 list that we're doing of things that are cooler when you're older. So like basically things that maybe if you did as a kid or did them, you know, as, as a teenager or whatever, you would maybe either be made fun of or you just wouldn't really think anything of them. But now that you're older, now that you're an adult, they're cool, which essentially makes this list. No, wait, does this mean that they're cool or you just don't care that they're not cool because you're an adult now? I mm, I don't know. Maybe that'll be the debate in the thing. I, I think that's probably open to interpretation, too, because different people find different things cool, like or, or like more enjoyable is another way to put it. Like there's a lot more things that are if I change it to enjoyable, like um, a lot of people as adults love to go hiking. If you're a kid, you're like, this sucks. Yeah, this is boring. One of my favorite things to do as an adult, I actually learned this as a teenager, um, but I uh, is there a couple weekends a, a year, maybe, I don't know, three or four times, I'll pick a Friday night where I'll just stay up and read. I'll start a book and finish it all in one night. Like around 10 o'clock Friday night, I'll, I'll make a pot of coffee. And I'll just read the whole book and then go to sleep, you know, sometime in the oh dark hours of, you know, Saturday morning. Um, I actually started doing that because my sophomore year in high school, I had a book report and we had three weeks to finish the book report. The third week, we had three weeks to read the book and, and finish the book report. The third week was um, spring break. So not only was that third week and an extra week, it was literally nothing else to do. And yet I still procrastinated and Saturday night rolled around. I still hadn't even opened the book. So I did that. I stayed awake as late, you know, I stayed awake to read the whole book, start to finish, wrote the book report Sunday, handed it in Monday, got an A, no trouble. But I just thought, man, that was really fun. You're just, it's quiet. You got the whole kind of world to yourself. It feels like. And uh, so anyway, now something that I would never have thought sounded cool or fun, I love doing now. And some of those things could be on the list. Let's get it started with number 10. Number 10. Being able to quote Shakespeare. Maybe I should have just made this poetry. You know, if, you, if you're like a 12-year-old, uh, that'd just be weird. That'd be, you know, you'd, you'd be a genius at that point. Um, but if you're like in high school and you're quoting Shakespeare, you're going to get made fun of. You just are. Now, if, you, if you're like a 40-year-old and you like, you're on a date or not even like, you know, if I'm 30 years old and I'm on a date with someone and I quote Shakespeare, it's classy. It's romantic. I am not going to stop and argue with you by saying you'll get made fun of if you do it in high school. All I'm going to say is my freshman year in high school, they offered a Shakespeare class as an elective. I mean, my and English I, class my sophomore year was all no, no, no. Shakespeare. We didn't have to take it. I was uh -huh. very excited about mm -hmm. it, and I did take it. So I can, um, I guess all I, I can confirm to you, I don't know about from an adult standpoint, because I can still quote you a lot of Shakespeare. Um, what I 
don't know or what I can tell you is you're right. It's not particularly cool. No, it's not. But now, you know, there's still probably some people who if you quoted that, they, they would roll their eyes and be like this guy. But I think a lot of people would be like, wow, this guy's really smart. He's intelligent. He knows what he's doing. Like you said, it can and be romantic. And if they do roll their eyes, you know what you say to them? Bleep off. Me thinks the lady doth. Me thinks the lady doth protest <laughs> ah, too much. There we go. Can how many Shakespeare quotes do you know? Could you do one for all ten on the list here? Um, I I'll see I won't what put I can that do. on you. Probably not. I won't put that on you. All right. Next up, number nine. Ninth on the list: driving responsibly. Yeah. You know, when you're you're a kid, you're a teenager, you're going fast, you're going fifteen over the speed limit, or or whatever. You're you're wanting to do donuts in the parking lot. You're you're just wanting to be a uh, a thrill seeker. Kind of. And, and this doesn't just apply to cars. In fact, I think it applies more to other things. Like if you're a kid who gets on a dirt bike or yeah, an or ATV or even a um, bicycle, bicycle or gosh, a boat or a jet ski. Heck, I, I can remember stories of like, you know, going to Mexico as a kid and I'm like 12 years old and you get out far enough where the guy can't see you. Your dad's like, hey, why don't you drive? This will be fun. And they get a crack out of it. And then all of a sudden you start flooring it. And you try to do a donut at 100% speed, and everybody flies 30 feet in the air and goes off. Dad loses his $200 pair of, <laughs> of sunglasses, and, you know, it's it's not as fun. But as an adult, you're just like, let's just get from point A to point B. Be safe about it. No need to, you know, be all crazy about this. Driving responsibly. When I was a nice kid, the place to go with your bicycle when I was in, uh, in kind of middle school, high school, Really, more middle school because once everybody got cars, we stopped riding bikes as much. But when you were um, kind of like that 12 to 14 to year, years old, the place to go was um, not far from Gardner, just west of town, was this rock quarry. And it had an incredibly, it had a, a kind of a, a hill with an incredibly steep grade. And yeah, that was the place to go and do stupid things at. Mm-hmm. Okay, next up. Number eight. Playing chess. I, I think, like, if you're in chess club and you're in school, again, it's not going to be looked at like you're the cool cat, right? There's nothing wrong with doing that. You keep naming things that I did in high school. <laughs> well, no, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying it's not going to be looked at as cool. Uh, yeah, I can. Yes, and, that's true. And honestly, like, a PSA, I don't think we really have any, like, kids who are in high school or listening. Who cares if it is or not? Like, do what you enjoy. Yeah, do what you have. Yeah, have yeah. fun. So I'm, I'm not saying it matters. I'm just saying, like, that is the perception of it, right? Um, and I love playing chess growing up. I like playing chess now. I don't play it as much, but, you know, um, so again, no problem with it. It's just, I think as an adult, it's one of those things where it's like, like, there are different ways of playing chess. There's, there's the chess club, which you envision, and you just think of, oh, that's kind of nerdy. And then you envision, like, like an 80-year-old at a park in New York City playing chess on the bench. Smoking, and this peaceful, his, yeah. smoking his 15th cigar of right? the day. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. It's a, it's a cool skill to know. It's a game, and it's like... It is a fun game. You, know, you could be at like a nice bar where it's like kind of dim-lighted, yeah. and you're having a nice cocktail playing chess. Like, that is cool. It's classic. Yeah, I agree. Um, you may have this on the list. Or I've not... To be clear, Derek doesn't show me these lists. He wants my, my true yes. reaction. So I hope I'm not ruining anything, but if you don't have this already, I would amend this to be board games in general. Yeah, I would agree with that, but I, I do think, like, 
I will say that, yeah, like board games are not, I don't think board games are seen as like, hey, let's play Monopoly and you're 12 and you're like, loser. No, it's not like that. It's you're not just, necessarily a loser. Not cool. It's just not, it's it's just not, not like, at the top of your list of exactly, what's perceived exactly. as fun. So yeah, from that standpoint, I would agree with that. And yes, board games are very fun. RPG of Lawrence, you can get a yeah, uh, half-price gift card on our website, Hometown Deals. Anything cozy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you just, you're cozy. You're amongst a nice, intimate group of friends playing a board game. It's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Number seven. Watches. Yeah, you can. There's a. There's a. A. a per, you can. There's a certain. How can I put this? There's a certain level of success or maturity a person hits when they no longer have to look at their phone for the time. Yeah, and like watches can be very classy. They're very. You know, if you wear a nice watch, that's that's cool. You know, James Bond wears a nice watch. Yeah, um, but when you're you're 12 years old, 14 years old. You're not really concerned, oh, what nice watch can I can I wear, right? And I, I think, you know, a lot of times if you are at a younger age, you're, you're wearing a watch for the specific purpose of it being about, you know, what time is it? And it's like a digital watch or something. Once you become of a certain age. It's a fashion exactly, thing. Exactly. Yeah. And that is high class. I agree. I will say, though, this isn't necessarily perceived as a, as a high fashion choice. But a person that I, I don't know her personally, but she pulls it off so well. Um, I haven't followed the band super closely because I think they actually, I think she moved to New York. Um, but for the longest time, there was a local band right here in Lawrence uh, that performed around the mid the, the Midwest and plenty of times here in Lawrence. Uh, went by the, the name of the band was called Your Friend. And the lead singer is this woman named uh, Taryn. Anyway, Taryn, uh, at least in, in some cases, wore a calculator watch, which is even a, it isn't a even as an adult isn't a big fashion thing, but she kind of carried herself in a way that she pulled that off really damn mm. well. A lot of fashion statements yeah, fashion is how statement. you is how you pull it off. Yeah, like good if point. you can carry yourself with the swagger. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get into the top six. Number six. Wearing nice clothes. Now this is yeah. kind of in line with that same thing. But nobody, when you're a sophomore in high school, wants to be like, you know what? I'm going to wear my button down today with my nice slacks. No, it's like, I'm going to wear gym shorts and a t-shirt. I'm going to be comfortable. Yeah, people wore, kids wore pajamas to school when I was yeah. in high school. I, kids, I mean, for my school, it was like, so the hallways were outdoor. The, in, the classrooms were inside, but you'd be walking outdoor. People would wear flip-flops, shorts, baseball hat. It was just about being comfortable. By some point, and for a lot of cases, I, I think this happens for a lot of people when they do become around 18 or so. You start to up the dressing a little bit. You might wear a little bit nice, like nice dress shorts and, and a collared shirt. And then eventually you get to an age where like, you know, I, I don't dress up this much, but um, where you are wearing a button down and a tie or a suit jacket. And I don't do that. It's too much effort for me. And I do still want to wear semi comfortable clothes. But like, if I see somebody in a tailored suit jacket, yeah, you're like, my they, first thought is like, they got it going on. Yeah, they must matter. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like they have a cool job, or they're part of the mob. Or, yeah, yeah. They, I don't know. Yeah, like you said, they matter in some, some way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number five. Knowing how to cook. Oh yeah. I I know that like there were there was almost a stigma at least at, at my school because you could take a cooking class of like if you take the cooking class it's like. Like, that's kind of lame. Why don't you do, you, you know, Were you in L.A. Y? or Northern California? Southern California. Okay. I was going to say, Northern California is, like, the place to cook. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, like. But you were so you know, Cal. It's, it's just 
not viewed at as, as cool of a thing. And it's like, what are you going to do? You're 15 years old. Are you going to go like, you know, make a five-star meal? It's just, mm-hmm. it's not that it's not cool. It's just not something that you look up to and are like, I want to know how to do this for a lot of kids. Um, but when you're an adult, it is so cool to have the skill of being a good cook and you can cook for your friends. You can cook for your family. You can cook for a date night. I'm not a great cook personally, but like that would be so cool. I I love watching like cooking shows. Mm -hmm. If I could be that level of chef, which that's like a a whole nother world, you know how fun that would be? I uh, That's badass. It just is. I'm not particularly exquisite in my presentation, Mm -hmm. but I can whip up some tasty stuff. Yeah, I mean, I could make some stuff, but like imagine being the person, like I'm talking like legit cooking, cooking, like I can you know, do all the things with like the cutting and I know how to work every single yeah, instrument yeah, yeah. in the kitchen. And I am just like basically Iron Chef over here be, making these wonderful meals, right? I think that's really cool. I agree. Number four. Going to bed. Going to bed at, you know, I I don't know if there's necessarily a, a time for this because everybody has a different sleep schedule. I could say going to bed at a reasonable time or- Certainly you and I do. Well, I could also like add this in at- um, taking naps just sleeping in general yeah when you're a, a kid you just you don't sleep i you know it's weird like i remember i i would have to get up so early for high school i, I had a class at 7 20 in the morning which like looking oh. back i'm like why did i do that and how, how was that a thing in high school because i don't even get up that early now i didn't get up that early in college um but that would mean i, I was pretty much getting up at like i don't know 6 6 30 every morning I would go to bed because you're a high school kid. You don't need to sleep. I'd go to bed at midnight, 1 o'clock or something. You deal with it. You get through. I wasn't even drinking coffee. You just have that much energy. Um, so you get through the day. But nowadays, it's cool to have like eight hours of sleep. It just is. It's, just, it's nice. It's relaxing. You don't have to drink a bunch of coffee. It's, it's just I don't nice. even know how much. Yes, I guess it's a measure of cool. But I think more than anything, it's a measure of envy, especially if you mm. are if you're an adult and you're, you're, your friends have uh, children. Mm-hmm. Because they're not getting eight hours of sleep, and so it's it's something to, if if it's not cool, it's certainly something to uh, to, to reach aspire toward, to, yeah, yeah, to aspire toward. Okay, let's get to the top three. Number three, reading, which you mentioned earlier. I've, I mean, yeah, I've I've kind of been a dork about reading. I've never not loved reading. Well, again, this is one that I don't think, like. It's not something where any at any time anybody's ever like, oh wow, I can't believe yeah, you'd read nobody, a book. Like, okay, so like old, it's like funny, ni- like nineties nineties teenage sitcoms. Mm-hmm. Always like if you were in chess club, you had thick glasses and you got made fun of, or if you read. At least for me, maybe I was lucky. Real life was never like that for no, me. No, I like, agree. There was never like that over-exaggerated yes. type of it. Correct. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. It's funny. You go through phases, though, because as a child, all you want to do is read books. You, you just love absorbing the knowledge when you're, like, really young. And then at some point, at least for me, I hit a phase where it's just like, I hate reading. I don't want to read books. I, you know, it's just boring. It's blah, blah. It takes too long. I hated reading books that were assigned to me in school, even if they were good books, because I didn't care for doing what I was told mm. when I was Rebellious. a teenager. Um, but if there were plenty of books that I read that like, if someone was like, you're not allowed to read this, I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm checking that out. Mm-hmm. It would have been a really good book. But if I was told to read it. Um, I was, a, I was a bit of a brat in that regard that I, I didn't like being told what to do. Mm. Um, but Beyond that, I loved to read. 
Well, I, I kind of circled back to it when COVID happened. I started getting back into reading, and it's just it's so nice. You're saying, you're saying you're happy COVID happened. No, no, <laughs> definitely not that. It's it's just a nice thing to put you to sleep, especially if you're sitting, you have it at the nightstand, you have as opposed to watching TV, that becomes a little more difficult to fall asleep. But it's just, I, it's a lot cooler to read. Like, have you ever seen somebody at like a bar or a coffee shop and they're just enjoying their coffee or their drink? They're just sitting there by themselves, reading a book, looking all classy with their legs crossed over. It's cool. With a pipe. And yeah, it's educational. It's not like, you know, you're just, degrading your brain by watching five hours of Jersey Shore or something. It's, you know, it's cool. Until you realize they're reading Jersey Shore the novel. <laughs> it's still better than the TV. Number Maybe. two. Maybe. Okay, uh, number two. Knowing tidbits, fun facts, trivia, however you want to put it, just knowing things mm. in general, I think is really cool. Like, if you know how to build something, if you know how to uh, and, and this kind of goes in line with just like having hobbies, I guess, is the best way to do it. Um, if you just know things, if you know fun facts, if you have the ability to, ha- you're having a, just a conversation with someone and bring up interesting things that have happened historically or in the world, I think, you know, history in general is a very interesting subject. And especially when you can bring up like historical facts and things that happen in conversation. When you're younger, it almost puts you to sleep. You know, if somebody's having a conversation, they're like, yeah, did you know back in, whatever, 1904, this happened historically? Yeah, that was, uh, right. That was, I mean, I, I had, Nowadays, a, it's like, oh, all ears. I had good friends in high school and, and we were the kind of good friends that we were close enough that they would, you know, they would give me crap and, and we could just mock each other, you know, have fun about it. Nothing mean, but just have fun, poking fun with each other. Um, my insistence on sharing random trivia knowledge when I was in high school was a point of mockery amongst my friends. So I can assure, yeah, I, I can confirm that that, uh, and you know, I, I need to use it now to get on Jeopardy or one of them other shows. Mm-hmm. All right, but without further ado, the number, number one, one thing that is cool when you're older: speaking foreign languages. See, see, see. Which C? Are you doing Italian or Spanish? We, oui, we. Oui. Ah, French. He knows all the languages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know a few. Ah, um, I'm learning German right now because obviously going to Germany, but it's never going to be like something I master. It's just trying to pick up like conversational things. Took I don't know what four years, five years of of Spanish throughout school, and then another one in college or something like that. So no. Did you ever read Poco? A- did you ever read a book called um, the? Prof- I took Italian in uh, college because mm-hmm. I had to take. Yo a, sé un poco español. I, I had to take four semesters of a foreign language, and I picked Italian because it's where my family was from Florence. So I thought, all right, let's do that. Um, but anyway, have you ever heard of a book or read perhaps a book called uh, The Professor and the Madman? Uh, no. So it's about uh, this professor who. Um, started the project, I believe, I don't think it was the Webster's Dictionary, I believe it was the Oxford English Dictionary. He oversaw the project, and um, he knew the, the the stories about this, this guy who got in touch with him, who wrote these beautiful, eloquent definitions for words, and he was like, I gotta meet this guy. And he's, his return address was uh, a mental hospital. And the professor, and this is a true story, and the, the professor just assumed that this man must have been a doctor because he was so eloquently spoken and written. 
and it turns out he was a, a resident there and this man had a, a really troubled uh, life and I think um, awful things that he'd gone through during the Civil War um, so he truly was a very troubled person but this professor um, had an interesting quote and uh, he knew about a hundred languages give or take wow and um, he had a quote where he said after you learn the 12th it's pretty easy Bleep off. Well, I, but the thing I, that makes sense, though, if you think about yeah, how many like a lot of once patterns. you learn Italian, you're probably going to have a decently early, easy time learning French, Portuguese, and Spanish because they're all Romance languages. Mm-hmm. They all come from Roman, right? Yeah. So I, I think that's probably what he meant by it. Um, but it, I, I just I found that quote. Kind yeah, of I was at a wedding over the weekend, and you know the the groom, as I talked about, I think on yesterday's show, was from Brazil, and you could hear a lot of words that were kind of similar to Spanish, even though they, they spoke Portuguese, so you kind of can pick up on it that way. But it's Supposedly, just- I don't know this to be true, I'm not making this up, but the person who told me it might have been making up, but allegedly, of the Romance languages, they're all very close, but allegedly Portuguese and French are closer to each other, and Italian and Spanish are closer together. Allegedly. Yeah, and uh, it's just, it's cool to know foreign language. Like, it's the one thing that most things I think about that I learned throughout my years in school, I'm like, was that really necessary to learn? Like, I don't use that at all in my daily life. And I get it. When, when you're going to school at that young age, you don't know what you're going to be career-wise, so it's important to be well-rounded because you don't know which of those skills you're going to use. But there are a lot of things you learn along the way where you're like, I really did not need that. That's one of those things where it's like, I wish I would learn more of that because knowing the second language is cool, allows you to travel and say different things, and it's just, it's just fun to be able to do that. So uh, that's the number one thing on things that are cooler when you're older. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Kevin Flaherty joins us next. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. About 20 till 5, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Uh, Kevin, as as you go through the decisions that are upcoming for a lot of guys uh, going through the draft process at, at KU and, and at other schools, based on, on everything going on over there, who are some teams right now that you think could be most affected, whether it would be positively or negatively by decisions uh, made by players in terms of where you kind of view them for being contenders or ranked for next season? Sure. I, I think one that uh, that already came back and was highly negative was Michigan State. Uh, when Max Christie decided he was going to stay in the draft, that was one that kind of a lot of us had circled as saying, with Max Christie coming back, maybe Michigan State is a – is a Big Ten contender, uh, and when once he decided to go ahead and and stay in the draft, you know Michigan State's maybe a borderline top twenty-five team. And I think when you look at teams out there that are similar, that that kind of have not necessarily that big of a drop, but have some big decisions that that ultimately really impact their outlook. You, you have to mention Kansas, right, with Jalen Wilson sitting out there because I think that 
Kansas with Jalen Wilson back, you, you start to look at that team as a potential national title contender. And without Jalen Wilson, not that Kansas can't get there, but I think that you look at it more as a team as, oh, this is this is a team that's going to take lumps. It's a team that maybe is going to be you know, pretty solid going into March, but but might not be as good, you know, or as dominant from November and December. And so I do think Jalen Wilson's a, a big one out there. Michigan is one when you look at uh, when you look at Musa being out there still for for Michigan. I, I think for the most part, we've seen the big decisions come back, and Zag is the other one because somehow, some way. Drew Timmy is still sitting out there. And you think about how dominant that guy has been at the college level, and yet he really fits sort of that uh, that mold uh, uh, that we've talked so much about, I, I feel like, over the last few months of guys who are so much more valuable in the college game than they will be in the program. I, I'm not 100% sure that, that Drew Timmy has a, a super long-term role and not necessarily an impact role in the NBA. But if he comes back to Gonzaga, you're probably talking about, you know, not the national player of the year guy in the preseason. That's that's obviously Oscar Shibway, but a guy who's a half step down from that and a guy who's a no doubt first team All American and he puts Gonzaga back in the position where Gonzaga's been the last few years as a program that uh, that could potentially you know, head into March Madness with with thirty or thirty two wins, and we're looking at them saying, "Is this the best team in college basketball?" With Trace Jackson Davis coming back to Indiana, obviously, we always hear is Indiana back in the same way that we hear is Texas back in football. Which of those two do you think is more back this year, Indiana basketball or Texas football? I love that question because <laughs> I, I do think there there are a lot of similarities, and that I think that. You know, if you look at it with the door being wide open, right, being back and like somebody like shutting the door and you not being back, I think both of them have their foot in the door. The door's not open. And and I think that that's the the important distinction to make here when, when you look at both of those teams. I think Indiana has a really intriguing roster when, when you look at, you know, Xavier Jackson coming back or, and you look at, uh, sorry, Xavier Johnson, when you look at Trace Jackson Davis, Race Thompson, you, you've got experience coming back. You add in two five-star guys, you know, who are, who are probably going to hit the ground running to, to some extent because they're not necessarily guys who are going to jump off the page from an NBA standpoint, but they're players who have functional skills and they know sort of what their roles are right from the get-go. And so Indiana's going to be deeper and more talented than they have been in years. And when you look at statistical projections for the Big Ten for this year, a lot of people have them as maybe the Big Ten's best team. And I think that, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that Indiana is back because we've seen Indiana, or at least in my time, you know, on this earth, I've seen Indiana being sort of a perennial contender. Whereas Indiana this year, I, I think, is looking more like that 11 to 15 range, and the Big Ten maybe being down a little bit at the top of the league. Uh, but you look at Texas, and I, I see a lot of similar things in that. 
there are so many reasons to hope for improvement. And, and when you look at Big 12 football as a whole, I think the league is a lot of the top teams are going to be down a little bit from where they have been. And I think Texas is going to be better than what it has been. And so there's certainly, if we're talking about the, the Marvel multiverse or whatever, you're, you're certainly looking at something where there's a multiverse out there where Quinn Ewers comes out is really effective at quarterback and Texas wins 10 games and reaches the big 12 title game. Now, does that mean Texas is back as a program? We, we've kind of been, been hurt, you know, going down that path before, but I do think that both of those teams, you know, have reasons for a lot of positive positivity and a reason to think that, that maybe they're on the road back if they aren't already there. Could you make a case that if Jalen Wilson comes back, KU could have the best player in the Big 12 and the best defender with Jalen as the player and McCuller as the defender? Yeah, I think so. And, and I think that when you look at, at when you look at the players for, for Big 12 Player of the Year, right, if we just run through them really quick, Adam Flagler would probably be my choice. Um, I, I think that... Jalen Wilson is right there in that discussion. Flagler still has his decision to make, but I, I feel like we haven't heard anything about him, you know, from a from an NBA draft standpoint since he declared that he was testing the waters. Uh, I think Flagler would, would be right there in that discussion. I think Kevin O'Banner at, at Texas Tech, I know everybody always falls in love with new players in the conference, but I feel like O'Banner coming back, after the way he ended last year, it is one of those guys that, that's going to kind of be in those discussion. And so I think it's kind of between those three when you look at it. You can make an argument that maybe Timmy Allen or, or somebody like Marcus Carr, the way that he ended the season because he had a really strong NCAA tournament, could jump into that discussion. But I really like those, those three guys. And so Jalen Wilson could be – the best player in the Big 12 next year. You look at defenders across the conference, I, I think it's McCuller. I, I think that you can make arguments that certain defenders are better at certain things than McCuller is, and I do think that McCuller is maybe the the type of guy who checks off more boxes as a defender than, than somebody else does. But I think that if you look at, hey, this guy on ball, you know, lighting somebody up, it, it might be Dewan Harris. And so you, your argument might still be the same, but with a different defender. But I do think that, that Kansas has a strong case if Wilson does return to, uh, to have both the best player and best defender in the Big 12. If you could guarantee like one trait for one player to help the team the most, so like I could say, you know that that Zach Clements or uh, name one of the the centers that could play for KU the next this next season would be a great rim protector because if with all the defensive pieces they already have with you know McCuller and Dewan and KJ Adams, if you had a great rim protector too, I don't know, it could be the best defense in the country. Or if you could guarantee that. Uh, Again, like Zach Clements would be a knockdown three-point shooter. If you could guarantee that Dewan Harris would, um, you know, have have this advanced offensive game. If you could like add one trait or guarantee, however you want to look at it, like one trait for one player on KU that you think would cement them as as being a true contender once again next season. What do you think would be most helpful? 
Yeah, I think I think you probably hit on on the two that I would choose. If I had to choose one, I'd probably say Dewan Harris's shot because I think that if Dewan Harris becomes a guy who teams legitimately have to respect as a shooter, it opens up not just the floor for him, but for everybody else. And I think we saw Dewan Harris make big plays off of the drive you know, several times last year, even with people, you know, playing off of him, knowing that he wasn't going to hurt them from the outside. If he becomes a, a legitimate shooter, and I'm not just talking about, hey, he shoots well when people give him 35 seconds to shoot. But, I mean, if he becomes a legitimate guy that can pull up and, and knock down a jump shot, it changes everything about the offensive ceiling about this team. Zach Clements' rim protection probably would have been the other one that I would have would have looked at because I think Kansas right now, when you look at that center position in particular, I think Clements is the front runner to start there with with him having the experience, as weird as it sounds to say about a guy who's going into his second year. But I think you you're almost looking at, well, Clements is the offensive guy. You bring in maybe somebody like Ernest Uday, who has more rim protection, et cetera. And so you lose offense when Uday comes in. You lose, you know, you lose defense when somebody like that goes out. And so the ability to have Clements with that rim protection where Kansas legitimately has, you know, two really high-level perimeter defenders at least because we don't know what the freshmen are going to do yet. And then you also have the rim protection from Clements, I think, would make them maybe the best defense in the entire country. We're talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. I did want to talk a little KU football with you as well. KU added two transfer uh, commitments in the secondary, um, including Marvin Grant, who kind of headlines the duo coming over from Purdue. We talked a little with your your cohort, Michael Swain of 24-7 Sports, when, when that just happened uh, last week. But uh, what type of additions is, is KU getting in, in those two guys, and um, how much really have they changed the outlook of the team with what they've done in the transfer portal, not just in the spring, but overall? Yeah, I think the, the entire outlook ha- has been changed because I think there were reasons for those of us, and obviously I count you guys in this too, but those of us who, who follow Kansas on a week-to-week basis in football – we saw the improvement at the end of the season, but even beyond that, we saw the challenges that they had to overcome before the season started. When you look at the fact that there was no spring, there was no full off season, that Lance Leipold took over after those things were concluded. And so this was a program where they were legitimately putting in, you know, offensive and defensive systems and teams while the season was going on. And obviously that's, not ideal, but it, it is what it is. And they did an unbelievable job. And I think there's a reason why Kansas was significantly better at the end of the year than, than it was at the start of the year. And so when you look at, at those positives, the negative was still going to be, okay, you're probably going to make a jump going through your first full offseason. You're probably going to make a jump because you return the most starters of any team in the Big 12. You're probably going to make a jump you know, for, for different reasons, confidence level, et cetera. But the one negative there was always going to be the, the roster strength. And that's not to say that Kansas doesn't have any good players or any talented players, 
but they don't have enough of them. And, and I think that that was the big thing with the transfer portal is you aren't just adding, you know, some four-star freshman who is a really talented guy, but, you know, hasn't ever seen the inside of a college dorm before, hasn't gone to college classes before, has no idea how college football works. Instead, you're adding in pieces from guys that, in most of these cases, you've seen them on a Division One football field. You know what to expect, and they know what to expect. And so I think that it really kind of supercharged what they might be able to do over the course of this next year. You know, looking at the it's a two safety transfers specifically. When you look at Marvin Grant and, and Jarrett Paul, Paul is really interesting because he has played cornerback. He's played free safety. When he played cornerback, it was almost like a safety role. He played, you know, what we would call like a bail coverage type of thing, you know, a, a deep safety at a cornerback spot. They played quarters, which is what KU plays a lot of. And so he's somebody that you can switch it and kind of move around. Or if you want to play with three safeties, he's somebody that's going to be comfortable in the middle of the field. He has that kind of range, that kind of ability to flip his hips. And if you put him in coverage on somebody, he's not going to be out of place. You know, Marvin Grant is a little bit more of of a box guy. And so when you add them to, to Kenny Logan, who's kind of a mix between them, and O.J. Burroughs, who is a, an excellent center field safety from an instinct standpoint, breaking on the ball, all of those things, all of a sudden you go from having, let's say, one-and-a-half safeties because you know what you have in Logan and you like what you think you have in, in O.J. Burroughs to, to having a full safety depth chart. And, and I think that something like that, even before you talk injuries or the different things that can happen, it's huge because Kansas can choose how to mix, how to mix and match those guys based on the week, and I think that it adds a lot to what they can do defensively. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out his work 24-7 Sports and at CBS Sports. Kevin, before we let you go, uh, I've been mentioning this with all our guests, last week for Adam, so quite literally one last thing with Adam. All right, Kevin, one last thing. If a witch wanted to, you wanted to lure you into her house by making it out of something you couldn't resist, what would that be? The, the immediate thought I had was that she could lure me in with snickerdoodle cookies. But oh, honestly, I, I don't, oh, yeah. I, I, honestly, I don't know that it would even need to be that labor-intensive. <laughs> there are any one of about 35,000 foods that the witch could make to entice I, me into her house. I but, have an answer. The bigger um, bread cookies, you smell those, and then, yeah, I mean, I would be done for. I have an answer for you, Kevin. I um, have All seen right. you post for this place a couple times. There's a barbecue place in Kansas City I've never been to, but I... Like, like every time I see a picture of you going there, I think you went there this past weekend. I am like, yeah. how have I not been this place? This looks absolutely remarkable. And I think if they came out with some Harps barbecue, there's there's no way you could avoid it. Harps barbecue, in my mind, it's the best barbecue in Kansas City, and it's only open once a week. So wow. you can't go there on like a Wednesday or a Thursday. It's it's Saturday mornings. 11 a.m. until the food runs out, and so you have to get there a little bit early, like 10.30 or whatever, but it is, it is so worth the wait, and it's it's incredible. We'll have to go sometime for sure. I love it. I'll take you up on that. Well, Kevin, we and appreciate it. I don't care that I'm leaving the show. I'm going with you guys, too. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I meant that for everybody here. I did not just mean that for Derek.
Adam, you'll always have a place in my heart and on my barbecue card. That's what I love to hear. There we go. Well, Kevin, I appreciate the time as always, man, and have a good rest of your day. All right, thanks a lot, guys. All right, that's Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports, CBS. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Two hours down, one to go. Welcome back in, 5 o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on KLWN. By the way, if you're, uh, not that you need me lecturing you, but uh, back to our conversation of what's cool, uh, top 10 things that are cool. Well, on that lead, when you're an adult, not necessarily when you're a kid, um, uh, hearkening back to one of those, drive safely if you are. Really drive safely yeah. all the time. But, uh, you know, you don't need me lecturing you, but uh, we care about you, and plus we need the listeners. So drive <laughs> safely today because it's kind of grody out. Uh, I thought you were going to say number one on the list should have been listen to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. But sure. that's, that's, that's that's cool, cool for no all ages. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool for all ages. Do you do you know how many like, you know, broadcasting the games this year? How many homecoming king and queens came up and like? Mm. I won homecoming king and queen because I list. I told everybody how I listened mm-hmm. to rock chalk sports. That's talk, true. And they're like, you're the coolest. Yeah. Uh, people got you know promotions at work because their boss walked in yeah. to their office Listen and they were listening to, to the show and they're talk. like, you got a good head yeah. on you. I like I like um, I like the cut of your jib. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they fast forwarded back to nineteen fifty two and then um they gave him a promotion. It's great. Yeah. So yeah, be cool. Be cool. Listen to the RCSD podcast. Uh something we were talking about with Kevin there was the idea of, of how good this KU defense can be. And and I tend to agree with what he was saying there. If you could guarantee me that KU has a real shot blocker, I don't mean just like like David McCormick could block shots. He was solid at it, right? But a doke shot blocker. Exactly. A Somebody doke. Who, uh, like, like became, I don't even want to say Jeff Withy or Cole Aldridge because that's like that's, a whole well, yeah. other level, right? But a, a, a guy but yeah, that it, a it isn't just something that they learn how to do at a certain level, but like a legitimate tool that you can yes. put in there that they have. Yeah, because again, like with Withy and Aldridge, that was like legendary among college basketball all-time yeah, standards. Yeah, and, and Withy we all talked about, and, and Cole might have too, but I know Withy played volleyball at one point. So, uh, yeah, they had they, they kind of brought an entirely different element to it. But yeah, like Doak was you know, around two blocks per game. If you could guarantee that you have that, and, and again, we don't really know who it's going to be, Zach Clements, maybe he is a good rim protector. We just we didn't see a ton, a huge sample size to know one way or another on that. He's long. He is, yeah. He does have great length. So, like, would it be surprising if Zach Clements averaged a block and a half a game? I don't think so. Um, the other thing, and, and I'm sure we'll get to this, but the other thing that blocking it does is, I mean, look, you saw it in a bad way. You saw it, you know, a bad way if you're a Kansas fan. You saw it in that blowout loss, the the vodka game against you know Kentucky, the Bill Self. I wish that wish the water was vodka game when Kansas got. I mean Kansas, Oregon. Yeah, in Kansas, Oregon, in the Elite Eight, you saw that it's not just the shots that gets get blocked. You you saw how the mental how effect. mental how it affects guys mentally driving into the lane. Yeah. By the way, I don't know if you saw this. Christian Brown gave a player comp to the athletic player. He got uh, himself. Yeah, they asked him to make a player comp of of because apparently a lot of the NBA teams like ask the players themselves because they're curious what they think of themselves and like what role they'd be asked to fulfill. Michael Olawakandi. Oh, no, he said Dylan Brooks. Oh come from on, that Oregon team. 
Have a I mean, heart. I get what he was saying. He was have saying a heart, CB. Because Dylan Brooks is like a fiery guy. He brings a lot of energy, passion. He's a 3 and D guy. So, like, I get what he's saying. But, man, you had to pick the guy who ripped out Frank Mason's heart. Come on. Pick someone else. You were in Kansas City. You, I don't know if he was a Kansas fan, but, like, come, come on. on. Pick someone else. That's anyway. sad. Um, but, yeah, yeah, to your point, like, the, the blocking, it, it does matter. And it has that, that huge effect that you're going to have guys who just maybe they don't even want to enter into the lane. They take a shot that, Which you know, is a 14-footer, right? Which makes the the guys guarding them at the perimeter so a lot easier. easier. So much easier, right? And so if it's Zach Clements, if it's Ernest Uday carving out a big role and being a good shot blocker, I mean, by all accounts, Zuby Edgefer, we, we talked about this in the deep dive we did on him whenever that was. He averaged like four blocks per game in the uh, Peach Jam circuit, you know, which is like the, the Nike EYBL, the big yep. circuit that they— And he uh, does not look— No, he's like 6'8". Yeah, he, but, and, he's, and, he, and he probably is longer. Like, his arms are probably longer than I think because he's also—and I want to be clear. He's not—I'm not calling the guy fat at all. He's very muscu- muscular. He's thick, though, and he's thick in a muscular— defined way by no means am I calling the guy fat um but the reason I say that is because because of that thickness because of the tone of his muscles his arms are probably a lot longer than we would think just because of how thick they are that wouldn't be surprising uh, again if you average that's not just four blocks playing in his high school circuit where he's well, playing you don't know who's go seven. yeah I don't know who like Garland Nike I don't know who BL Garland circuit. Texas plays no I don't either but the Nike EYBL circuit with the PCM like that is one of the biggest if not the biggest yeah. like AU events that they have going on, so that that is a big deal. Like they they might very well have that, and who knows? Maybe, um, I, like again, I I don't know what Cam Martin can do as far as the shot blocker. He was a little over block per game. I, I don't envision him as like his forte is more of being a shooter. Um, so nonetheless, I don't really know what you're going to get there. But I really do think that you are you are that away from being the best defense in the country, because as I look at it right now, you know, I it's funny going into last year. I looked at the team and I said, the biggest worry for me is going to be the defense because as you look at it, it's not that you have a bunch of bad defenders. You just have a bunch of guys that you don't consider like plus defenders. Like uh, you headed into last year and it was like Remy Martin, he's not really known for his defense. Christian Brown, who ended up having a good defensive season at the time, wasn't like known for his defense. If you, you thought with Christian Brown, you would have, if you could have like had at the beginning of the year somebody said a slightly plus defender, you would have probably taken that. Mm-hmm. Just a slightly plus defender for Christian yeah. Brown, you would have taken that. And, and you went down the list, and you had a lot of guys where again, it's not that they were bad defenders. It's just that like you wouldn't consider them like oh, they're all Big Twelve defensive players. But I look at this team, and, and again, like it ended up working out because Bill Self's such a defensive mastermind, and they figured it out, and they had great communication. A lot of those guys did play very well defensively. But they also had, like, a great offense that they made it work. And by the end of the season, they became one of the best defenses in the country. I look at this team. It is it is ready-made to be a good defensive team. The offense becomes more of, of a question, as, as we've talked about, that it could be, I know this is something you've brought up, that maybe it's something with a lot of these guys where they're not really clicking offensively till December or January or something. But the defense, you look at it, you say, Dewan Harris, that's a guy who could end up on an all-Big 12 defensive team. And I'm not just talking, like, in the future, I'm talking as soon as this next season, and it, it, yeah, and it's going to be just added. Marcus Garrett was an incredible defender, but I don't think it's a coincidence that, um, you know, his well, I don't want to say his best years because he was great the following year too, but 
Think about just how much more aggressive he was, as great as he was. Think about how much more aggressive he was able to be with Doak in the blocks. Yeah, and so, so like I said, Dewan Harris could be an All Big Twelve defensive player. Um, MJ Rice and Grady Dick. I don't think the expectation, whenever you're a freshman coming in, is that you're going to have that because there are growing pains to be had. But you're talking about long, lengthy, physical, talented wings. There's no reason those guys could not have the ceiling to be good defenders. Um, Ernest Uday, Zuby Edgefer, we just mentioned. Who knows what to expect of Zach Clemens. K.J. Adams, if he gets a big enough role, I, I've said this before, Like he's a guy who, if he plays a big enough role, I think could win a Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year award. Kevin McCuller was probably the best defender on the best defense in the country last year. Jalen Wilson had times this year where you know it was a little inconsistent and you would get burnt defensively, but there were other times where he really stepped up in big-time moments for KU defensively. And the reason the reason I think we got so frustrated with Jalen Wilson defensively sometimes is because you saw when he was engaged, you saw what he was capable of mm-hmm. because of his athleticism. Yeah. So, like, I go through that list, and, and I'm just sitting here like, this should be, bare minimum, a top-10 defense in the country, and I probably... Would with that because part of the problem here is I don't know what every school is bringing back or, or the impact of this and that, but just like just knowing that when KU is good, they tend to be at the top of a lot of these lists. I I kind of view this to be a top five defense next year, and so they were a they ended up being one of the best defenses in the country two years ago without uh, a a great shot blocker again. Dave is proficient at it, just not like elite, and they ended up over the last month or two of the season being a really good defense this past year, even without that. So I, I think they can be a top five defense, even if they just have, you know, solid shot blocking. But that is the difference to me. If you do end up, because you have all those other pieces, if you do end up having like an elite shot blocker, I think they'll be the best defense in the country. A great perimeter, I shouldn't I shouldn't speak in absolute, so I won't say nothing, but a great perimeter defender doesn't do a lot for a great post defender. But a great post defender does quite a bit for a great perimeter defender. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you know, it, it can allow them to be up on them more, you know, so they don't have to risk, okay, what happens if I get beat? You got a bit of a safety net behind you if you get beat. Um, that means you you're if you're a pro, if you're a post defender, um, you can get up and prevent them prevent them from from shooting threes or maybe even block a three depending on how they shoot. More and more guys now shoot above their head so it's getting tougher and tougher to block but um you know I, I just I think that's the best way I can put it is is a great post defender helps perimeter defenders quite a bit great perimeter defenders I don't want to say they do nothing for post defenders but they don't do as much as as the other way around the question then becomes like if if I do feel so good about the defense can the offense be good enough um the, I think they could almost be like the inverse of of this season the problem becomes, like we've talked about before, is that the elite offenses tend to have a little bit better of a tournament resume than the elite defenses. Not to say that those teams can't win or, or don't win. Um, it's just that more often it's it's the top-end offenses than the top-end defenses. Can I tell you why I think that is? Yeah, go for it. I think it's because you're going to have a night like – you. You're going to have a night where it doesn't matter how well you play defense; they're just not going to miss, or or you'll get some sort of weird matchup where it, it's t- there's this guy who plays a specific way, and it's hard to defend him. But a lot of the times, it's just one of those things where no matter how good your defense is, sometimes a team you're going to run into a, a night where they're just 
they can't they're just having a night and that's almost inevitable and and you have to be able to match that when you're um with something on the offensive end mm-hmm. which is why i think ultimately better offenses carry you further in the tournament than great defenses i think that makes sense and the idea that you know you could say oh well if you have a great defense all you got to do is get hot for a six game span but like you're not going to for all six games. If, yeah. you, if that's not your identity, you're just not going to do that. And um, I do agree that that, that is the case. I'll, I'll have to re-up these numbers because I, I looked at them headed into the year, and I know it was something around the tune of that um, if you were like a top three offense and Ken Palm adjusted offensive efficiency, you you made the the final four like 28% of the time or something like that. And like of the of the uh, national champions, I think it was like 14 of 19, basically like 75%, something like that, had um, like top five offenses, whereas it was maybe half that who had like top five defenses, maybe even less than that. So again, it's it's not that like be dominant at one thing, like have a calling card, yeah. ha- have a trait. So that, that, that'd be great if you're on top five defense. The just, can they be good enough offensively? The 2012 team that was the national runner-up, now, they had a go-to score in Thomas Robinson that really was such a difficult matchup for so many teams, but they also, well, know, maybe that's they, the they kind of run, they, they had a terrific, and they had Jeff Withy, who was an mm-hmm. outstanding shot blocker, um, but they also kind of had, they did, and, and this was part of them, I mean, I want to get, you know, give credit to them too, that they played good defense, but they are an example of a team that never really came, I'm trying to think of. I don't think a single score. I don't think a single team scored seventy on them in the NCAA tournament. I think it was like 50, 60, mm-hmm. 61, I think. I mean, they all scored. I think sixty-seven. I think Carolina scored sixty-seven on them in the Elite Eight, and that was it. I think that was the highest. And I think uh, Kentucky got another sixty-seven on them in the national championship. And so, you know, you'll have kind of runs like that, but for the most part, you're going to run into a team where you've got to score. 75 to win a game. Yeah, that team ended 23rd in offense, 3rd in defense. So if you can be that elite of a defense, and th- and that's the thing. Like, to your point, okay, this is this is the perfect example of a probably a difference between the 2012 team and the 2021 team. So 2021, you lose in the second round. You get blown out by USC in the second round. Now, the 2021 team, mainly because of that USC game, ended up... 12th in the country in defensive efficiency but there were stats like from february 1st through like the beginning of march they were the number one defense in the country and headed into the tournament they were a top 10 defense like closer to top five if i recall so that game just just kind of buried it there um but the point being that team was only 54th in offense so pretty much here's what i'm saying if if you're going to rely on being an elite defense at least need a top 25 offense. Oh, yeah. And and the difference between the 2012 team being able to do that versus the 2021 not being able to is they had a National Player of the Year candidate, Thomas Robinson, mm-hmm. right? And then you had a, another guy in Tyshawn Taylor who had a phenomenal finish to the season. And Elijah Johnson who caught fire in the tournament. Yeah. Who, where, played, who played at a level that, that you that's saw flashes too. of in the regular season, yeah. but he was consistently really good in the tournament. And so 2021, you look at it and say, well, you had a lot of guys who were tailing off at the end of the season or you had guys who had to deal with COVID or injuries at the end of the season that you didn't have that at the very least to say, hey, we have, uh, you know, we don't have the best offense in the country because we're we're playing uh, Connor Tehan a ton of minutes and, um, you know, Kevin Young a ton of minutes and all these guys. 
but we do have Thomas Robinson. We do have Tyshawn Taylor. So we have an identity offensively. We're great defense. Mm-hmm. So that, honestly, just circling back to our opening conversation, probably adds to the, the importance of Jalen Wilson coming back. Because if we think this is going to be a great defense, but have questions about the offense, if Jalen comes back, at the very least, that's one less question. You know who your go-to guy is. That's, yes, that's very true. You do have one question. You don't have every question mm-hmm. answered offensively, but you have a big one. He's Adam Ravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.